Welcome, finally, to the newest episode of the Redeeming the Time podcast. It has been a while, hasn't it? There is a very good reason there has been a content drought here, and that's because I have been very busy with a special project, and you are going to finally experience some of the fruits of that in today's episode. Today's a nice extra long one. We have another guest. Finally, uh, the person I'm going to consider my co-host on this podcast, Mac Donahue, is here. So there's some pretty cool new things going on here. Uh, first of all, as a recording setup, is uh, you can't really tell, hopefully, uh, but we're not in the same room. Mac is recording in Charlottesville, Virginia and I'm recording in my closet in Maine. Both of our audio was sound pretty good as of the last time I was editing and it sounded pretty close too so it's almost like we're in the same room which is awesome because we're going to be doing this a lot. Uh, so Mac is now going to be hopefully a regular occurrence on this show and today we kick it off with a bang. So we talked about uh, this really big study I've been doing for about a month working through different parts of God's character. It was a really big discussion. Uh, I had a lot of prep for it. Mac did not. So it ended up turning into me having a lot of the uh, the mic time. But in a similar way, you guys learned with Justin in the last episode of the podcast. I had a lot of the material. And then uh, my guest is able to kind of bounce off and get some initial reactions. So you're getting from two angles. One, the angle I'm coming from of having a lot of study in a certain area. And then someone you could probably relate to a little bit more is someone who hasn't necessarily heard this uh, straight up for the first time. So kick back, relax, enjoy this extra long, extra special episode of the podcast. And uh, say hello to Mac Donahue. I will see you guys at the end of the show. All right, listeners. Well, as you just heard from that wonderful voice you just introduced you, I am here right now with Mac Donahue, finally on our podcast. Huh? I just said hello. Oh, hello. (laughs) Well, today uh, I wanted to explain, first of all, that the reason there hasn't been any podcasts for like the entire month of July and a little bit into June as well is because, well, two reasons. One was I recorded an edition of this episode and didn't like it. And so I said, you know what? Forget it. I'll do it when I get someone else on the show. And that should sound a little bit better. And the other reason is that I've been really busy doing uh, a Bible camp at our church. And that's actually what I wanted to talk about in today's episode. So we use at uh, my church, we use the group curriculum. And one of the Bible camps they put out for 2019 was called VBS Roar, uh, which is like this African theme. And it was really cool. So we just got done that yesterday. What was so cool uh, to me, though, was the lesson. So I got to do a puppet show for the kids, which isn't part of group's curriculum, which meant that I was writing the scripts for myself. It's kind of like a church uh, tradition we have. So we kind of fused the kid vid cinema part of group's curriculum into a puppet show that I scripted and directed. And so I spent a lot of time interacting with group's lessons for those five days. So the theme of VBS Roar 2019 is when life is wild, God is good. And that was really interesting. So each day had a different, when life is this, God is good. And so I got to write puppet shows and find a way to like teach kids about each day's theme for each day. 
And I kind of just wanted to work through those here with Mac today and see kind of like what he thought of the different lessons. And of course, I'm going to be delivering this in a much more mature way than I did uh, to the kids. So I'm just going to jump right into it. So day one, when life is unfair, God is good. So just out of curiosity, Mac, where does your mind go right away as soon as I say unfair or unjust biblically? There's a couple of things that my mind, well, not necessarily a biblical instance, but just uh, a lot of times in you know today's world, um, we're trained to see how life is bad. And I feel like that's something that we are kind of taught societally to focus on. So I feel like this is one that uh, is very applicable to so many people's lives that they can really just find instances of their own lives because everybody has faced some form of you know injustice. Yeah, so that's something that was really, and this is a theme that I'm going to be saying probably every time we dig into a day here. These kids, we did it for ages pre-K through sixth grade, and you don't think that the pre-Kers are going to understand a concept like God's justice? They get it, which is crazy, because you like they're experiencing real life too, and so like they know that life is unfair. You don't, you don't have to teach them too hard, they kind of get it already. That's a really good starting point for explaining fairness. So I believe group's verse for that day was Nahum 1-7, which I felt like was a questionable choice for the verse they used. Um, But hold on, let's see if I can do it from memory. Uh, Nahum 1-7 was... Ah, shoot. How does it begin? I'm a terrible VBS leader, clearly, because I can't (laughs) remember the verse we taught all the kids. Nahum 1-7 was the Lord... It's like, the Lord is good, a strong refuge when trouble comes. I'm like, okay, that's kind of mediocre, especially when I looked at the context of it. So the book of Nahum is kind of like this doom and gloom, fire from heaven perspective on God's justice. Uh, But what came to mind for me was Psalm 10. Well, actually, I looked and found Psalm 10 because I knew I could find a better psalm about God's justice. What initially comes to mind when I think about justice is Job, particularly. Yeah. Job is a whole book of the Bible that's dedicated to God's justice. So each day kind of seems to wrestle with a characteristic of God, and so that's what I focused on. The motto for each day was God is good, and I felt like that was not insufficient, like it got its job done, but I wanted to elaborate. So when life is unfair, God is good because he's fair, or when life is unjust, he's just, you know. And so Job is an entire book of the Bible dedicated to dealing with God's justice. So I thought, man, that's like kind of a good starting point. God's justice is super complicated. So like, you know that stereotypical question that like atheists always ask, if there is a God, then what? Yeah, if if there's a God and he is good, then why does he let bad things happen? Exactly. It's like the stereotypical question that non-Christians ask. Yeah. And that's one of the biggest things, like Christians, I I don't know if I've ever met a Christian who like has a quick comeback for that. Like it's not an easy question to answer. I mean, Job deals with that one problem. That is the only thing that Job really teaches you about is God's justice. It takes like 42 chapters to get the job done. Holy moly. The book is huge. It's like bigger than Exodus. So it's really complicated. And that's even the answer. So you read the book of Job and What happens to Job is Job is a good guy, all right? He doesn't really do anything wrong, okay? And then the devil gets permission to test him, and so he makes, like, all these terrible things happen to him. He loses all of his kids, all of his property. Uh, His wife basically leaves him. Uh, His health definitely leaves him. 
And he's just kind of like sat there or uh, left sitting there in the dirt. And so he begins to question like, okay, well, why did this happen? That's a reasonable question given his circumstances. Why did this just happen to me? And he immediately goes to like, well, come on, like that's part of God's justice, right? Like what's going on here? And his friends come up and him and his friends spend the next like 35 chapters debating. And it's kind of like a math problem that they debate. So all of Job's friends are like, listen, bad thing happened to you. It must be because you did a bad thing. You know, bad thing equals bad thing. That's that's the math here. And so the conclusion that they reach is, okay, Job, clearly you're lying to us or you're ignorant because you did something wrong to deserve this. That, that's how justice works yeah. is you do something and you deserve it. And Job says, well, I know I didn't do anything wrong. And so Job's conclusion is, since bad thing must equal bad thing, and bad thing is then present without bad thing, then there must be no justice. God clearly can't be just. One of the verses, I wish I had written this down, uh, the last guy to talk, I think his name is like Eliphaz or something like that, he talks and he absolutely roasts Job. Calls him, and he says that Job drinks scorn like water. It's like, ooh. If you ever want to go to debate class, don't do it. Just read the book of Job a couple times. Yeah, you'll get it. Like, total zinger. It's great. But he also paraphrases what Job is saying. I don't think Job ever admits this himself. Maybe he does. I didn't read the whole thing and study for this because it's huge. But his buddy there uh, paraphrases Job to say that clearly God isn't just. That's in like 30, uh, Job 36, I think. Uh, you can go look it up for yourself. It's not too hard to find. It's the final speech before God speaks at the end. And of course, God then does speak. So Job and his friends spend 35 chapters debating this math perspective to justice. And then God shows up. And then Mac, you remember the rest of the story? What, what happens when God shows up? What does he say? Well, Job starts questioning God. And, you know, he's like, you know, kind of accusatory, like how... How could you do this to me? I've, I've been a faithful servant and, you know, how not, not how dare you, but kind of along that line of questioning. And then mm-hmm. God's like, how dare I? How dare you? And then they just and then Job and God kind of get into this debate. And Job is just completely blown away by again, by the power of God. Yeah. So what's really interesting is the way that God speaks. He takes Job on, I think, the Bible Project video, which you guys know how much I love those guys. Their video on Job uh, explains it like God takes Job on this virtual tour of creation, uh, which he does. He shows off these like crazy beasts and he's like, do you form the hailstones in the sky? You know, do you yeah. know when the goats go and all, all kinds of this, that and the other thing. And it seems so random. Like, where did this come from? And he does that for a chapter. And then Job like learns his lesson. He says, I'm not worthy to speak. And then God says, no, you're not. And then continues to go off on like another three (laughs) chapters of the same thing. And like, okay, now Job really gets it. And you're left questioning kind of, because this is like weird Hebrew literature from thousands of years ago. Uh, So if I remember correctly, the scholars and, uh, you know, people smarter than I am think that Job is the oldest book of the Bible. They think it predates Moses, who, of course, wrote the Torah, you know, the first five books of the Bible. So even though Genesis tells things before Job, the account of Job seems to have been written before Moses wrote the Torah which is incredible. So this is ancient, ancient literature. And it makes no, like you read it and you expect like, oh, finally, like God's just going to tell us like what his justice is all about. And it makes no sense. (laughs) It's like, okay, like creation, I guess. Like why why does he keep talking about creation? Like that seems to have so little to do with this. And if you kind of zoom out, it seems like God is saying my justice is really complicated. Like the answer to your question is it's complicated. Yeah. The short answer. (laughs) Thanks. It's complicated. Yeah. (laughs) 
clearly what we're supposed to do as Christians, right, is when these atheists or, you know, non-believers come up and they say, if God is so good, then why do bad things happen? And we turn around and we say to them, well, it's complicated. Yeah. There are <laughs> like, s- that's probably not going to get us too far, huh? No. But there, like, there are so many ways that you can try to describe little bits and pieces of God's justice. I think when that question is asked, you can't try to zoom out and explain the entire breadth of uh, the justice of God because, like you said, you'd sit there for four hours and you'd read however many chapters of Job there are and, and just, you know, it would turn into a lecture. So I think like trying to come up with not one-liners, but ways to describe one aspect of God's justice is the best way that you can give them a general picture of, of the character of God in that way. Like mm-hmm. when people are like, why doesn't God stop bad things from happening if he exists? I'm like, the answer to that is he does. You just don't know he does because those bad things have never happened. Yeah, because they never happened. <laughs> yeah. That's that's one thing that I like like to point out. And I've had people mm-hmm. like kind of just like take a step back and like look like they're in deep pondering. And I'm just like the fact that you aren't God suggests that, you know, you don't know what God is doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think a one liner is really hard to just, you know, sell someone with like, this is huge. There's a reason there's a 40 chapter book that talks about this. Uh, And it's not limited to Job either. It actually takes up. So I believe this section, our modern Bibles are broken up a lot differently than uh, the Jewish people did and even still do. Uh, So Job, I believe, is in a section of the Torah, not the Torah, the Tanakh, the Jewish Bible called the Ketuvim, which means writings. And the writings are almost primarily concerned with God's justice. It's not just Job. Um, Proverbs doesn't deal with it much, but Psalms deals with it a lot. I think Ecclesiastes is almost consumed by it. And yeah. Lamentations, I'm not as familiar with Lamentations, but I'm pretty sure it's pretty concerned with God's justice too. Yeah, I mean, there are so many instances. You know, you you see, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see Jonah. You see, you know, so many, Daniel. So many different stories where, you can really just draw God's justice out of it and just show who he is and his goodness through it. Yeah, and Jonah's a good uh, example there because Jonah is another exploration of justice. What happens when a human's idea of justice has a conflict with God's idea of grace? Yeah. that That's like the big point of Jonah. And Jonah, I was thinking of Jonah as I went into this because I wanted an exploration of God's character. And Jonah, not not the, the VeggieTales narrative Jonah, like the real Jonah, <laughs> is a huge exploration of God's grace. That, that's like the best exploration of character that I can think yeah. of. Partly because of the way it's written in like, you realize like midway through the book that you are Jonah and that you have a problem when God gives grace to people that you don't think deserve grace. Uh, that took up a big portion of the podcast that I deleted <laughs> because that was actually my intro because it was an exploration of God's character. Uh, so I went through the book of Jonah and then said, so what we just did, that's what I'm trying to do with these other characteristics of God. Yeah. Yeah, so Jonah's great. So anyways, aside from, like, Psalms, the fact that Psalms makes up, like, half of the writings, for the rest of it, it's like 75% of the Ketuvim is completely consumed with God's justice. This is a huge thing. It's not completely wrapped up in Job. But the answer that you seem to get from Job is, well, on the surface, it's complicated. But a little bit deeper, you realize the answer is God's justice is simply bigger than you are. Yeah. And so from your perspective, it looks like it's unfair. And then from God's perspective, it's a totally different story. But the reality is there's so much going on behind the scenes that you can't even understand if you were told where the justice of God truly just can't be ever understood totally by the human mind. 
Yeah. So, for instance, what's what is the reason that Job is going through all this crap? I mean, ultimately, it's, you know, the devil challenged God and said he's only... Yeah, stuff is going down in heaven, and God is allowing bad things to happen because the Satan, the tempter, is trying to test God and Job. Yeah. All right? Does Job ever learn that that's what's going on? (laughs) No. It never happens. God never explains, like, okay, well, the reason that I was doing, like, he never has to explain himself. He just says, I'm bigger than you are. Creation is bigger than you are. I manage the whole thing. Just trust me. And that's all you hear of it. And if Job had heard the explanation, be like, oh, that's why. But he never gets it. So that's interesting to think about. Yeah, so that was a good good point you made there. Yeah, because it's like, we don't need the answers to trust. We just need to learn to trust, you know? like Exactly, yeah. The character of God and truly understanding his nature and character is an answer for everything. Exactly. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. So in the puppet show, the thing was, day one, I didn't just have to teach the lesson. I also had to do like an introduction to the puppet show. And like, I had to kind of explain to the kids what a characteristic was. And I did that by, I explain a puppet's character, then a puppet explains another character, another puppet character. And then we say, okay, how about we explore something about God's character? And so that that was kind of a teaching moment so the kids could understand what a characteristic is. I had to introduce to the main characters, kind of give kids the rhythm for how it would go. So what actually happened is that the day one script couldn't really deal that much with God's characteristics of uh, justice. And so the plot basically shows uh, characters helping out a character who's oppressed, uh, a rhino whose horn is uh, trying to be stolen for its cotton because he's a puppet and it's a joke and they realize they're all made of cotton and like, why aren't we all being hunted down? And then the rhino thinks that everyone should be hunted down equally and he's just an idiot, so... I'm just glad that the rhino doesn't uh, mimic the intelligence of uh, his namesake. Yes, yes. The rhino happened to be named Mac, which is pretty funny. <laughs> I mean, all of the animal characters that group uses are puns. And I think Mac the rhino is like a Mac truck, which is funny because for those of you who don't know, all of Mac's usernames are truck puns. Yeah. Uh, like Mac the truck and Mac diesel. And yeah, it's great. Uh, so yeah, it's the same pun right there. Uh, Mac the rhino who charges people down. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, he's, the rhino was kind of dumb, but like Elmer Fudd basically comes out, tries to steal his horn and then the puppet characters save him. And then we kind of explain how that's what God's justice is like. You know, he stands up for the people who, you know, are downtrodden by society, which has all sorts of, you know, nowadays, all sorts of uh, race connotations to that. But I would not have done that plot if I had more time to actually flush out the life is unfair, uh, unfair plot. That was like secondary to me doing my puppet show introduction. If I had more time to do that plot within my show, I would have designed it like Job. I would have had some sort of an authority character who was causing things to happen that seemed really unfair. And then all of a sudden, like the curtain peels back and you realize that things behind the scene are way more complicated than the puppets thought. And that's how God is just, is things are going on behind the scenes that you couldn't comprehend even if someone told you. Yeah. And so that's where God's justice comes in. Plus, there's a final justice in Revelation, you know. So I would have explored those themes more if I had time in the puppet show to explore them. But yeah, God's God's justice is a huge question. And, and it's difficult to just trust. I don't think you're ever going to sell someone on the faith by explaining God's justice. I think understanding it comes after you're in the faith. Yeah, exactly. Like for the, the question of if God is good, why does he let bad things happen? For me... That's not something I struggle with because I have a pre-existing trust in the character and nature of, of my God. I don't have a problem 
not being in the know for things. I don't have a problem taking a step back and saying, God, you are almighty, I trust you. But that blind trust isn't something you can just explain to somebody asking that question. Yeah, exactly. I Like, I don't know how I could explain it other than, like, how I did. And that's, like, the best way to explain the the Job version of, you know, God's justice. And I'm, you know, I think that's a good explanation. I think that's about as good as we're going to get, you know, as not being Bible scholars. But that doesn't, like, I'm not convinced it's going to sell someone on it, you know. God is just because justice is bigger than you are. Okay, well, yeah, I like that God who thinks that I'm a tiny person, you know. Like, I can just see someone with a negative attitude just coming at that and not taking it. But that's the answer. And so, as, you know, someone who grew up in church, I I don't have a problem with that. I understand why bad things happen, and I can deal with it myself. I'm not sure that someone outside the faith is capable of understanding that until they've already experienced the love of Christ, you know. So that's a huge question. I'm glad I got to teach it to pre-cares. <laughs> but that's one thing I would like to point out about the uh, whole concept of the Vacation Bible School and just how well they really take such huge topics and break it down in ways that kids of every age group can understand. Like you have kids from pre-K up to, you know, beginning of high school, and they manage to adapt this huge concept individually to each group in a way that each group will understand and be able to apply to their own lives. Yeah, that's pretty mind-boggling, actually. That's a, that's a huge compliment to uh, group in their VBS program. And what's crazy is, again, you don't think the pre-cares get it, but they, they really did, uh, which blows my mind, because it's not that I'm that awesome of a, of a script writer. Like, I was targeting the older kids, like the graders. First through sixth grade, they're going to get the scripts pretty much the same. Kindergarten and pre-K, that's a different story. Like, yeah. that... I don't know, but they got it anyways. Like, they even got, we'll, we'll see later, I did a, a, a who's on first spoof, <laughs> uh, and the kindergartners got it, and half of the pre-cares did. They Some of them didn't that? get the joke. But yeah, they That's understood amazing. the joke. I was like, mind blown. I can't believe these kids are smart enough to do this. Like, well done, parents. Well done. So my opinions on uh, children's ministry, that, that'll come. I think we should do a, a podcast on that too. But it, it blows my mind when I see adults. Like, how many times have you heard this in someone's testimony? Oh, well, I grew up in church, but I didn't really know God. What? Yeah. What were they teaching you? I don't understand how you can be exposed to someone really teaching you the word of God your entire childhood and not understand it to some capacity unless they're not teaching it well or they're just not really teaching it at all. I mean, I think there's also a certain amount of personal responsibility in there too where you can be in in church, but if you haven't made the commitment in your mind and in your heart to actually seek that knowledge, then everything Mm -hmm. is just going to, you know, be falling on deaf ears. Yeah, and that's also a possibility. Um, But certainly when I'm doing any kid's ministry, I'm always thinking, I do not want these kids to be those adults who say they grew up in church and didn't know a thing about Jesus, you know? Like, my grandfather pastors a church now that I'm pretty sure didn't hear the gospel until he was there. Like, how do you not... Yeah, know what I mean? Like, what what are you even doing in church? What's the point? Yeah. And the point was rules. And, you know, the church didn't let go of that very easily. Like, you think things changed. You know, he came in, spread the gospel, everything changed. No, they liked the rules. They liked sticking with the Old Testament and do's and don'ts and all that stuff. And it, it was a hard... It was a hard swallow for the gospel, but imagine, you know, when you're a kid, that's totally different. Like, now's our chance to not let them be those adults who never knew. Yeah, that's a whole nother, like, conversation we could get into, and, like, a potential podcast is, like, the Western church and the successes and failures of it and and things like that. Yeah. But anyways, that's day one. So, you know, massive, massive thing that takes up, like, half of scripture, uh, boiled down into 20 minutes and a 15-minute puppet show. (laughs) 
taught to pre-cares. <laughs> but day two, day two was when life is scary. God is good. And so uh, I incorporated groups, animal characters into each uh, puppet show. Uh, and the animal character for uh, when life is scary, that character was Hooper the bird, um, or Hooper the hoopo, uh, to be specifically, which I had never, ever heard of a hoopo before. I don't even know what that is. Yeah, they're like, as far as I can tell, woodpeckers native to Africa. Interesting. Yeah, they like live in nooks and crannies and stuff. Maybe they don't actually peck wood, but they've got like, they got really long beaks and stuff. Anyways. Uh, but anyways, day two is when life is scary, God is good. And this was a fun one to perform because uh, in the puppet show, we did a Dr. Seuss spoof uh, with rhyming, which was actually really fun to do. Because I didn't puppeteer, but I was kind of the director, and that meant that I was there as a human interacting with the puppets in Puppet <laughs> World, we called it. It's just a black screen they hid behind. But God, uh, when life is scary, God is good. So the verse they chose was Psalm 23, possibly like the most famous psalm. Uh, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear because, you know, God is with me. Uh, Except it was the worst translation of Psalm 23 you have ever heard. (laughs) All right, you ready for this? Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not fear because you are close beside me. Okay, so first of all, the valley of the shadow of death is a place. And also, I'm pretty sure... Valley of the Shadow of Death gets the point across better than <laughs> Darkest Valley. If it takes multiple thes and ofs to get your point across, I think it's pretty, like, it, <laughs> yeah. it's the most over-the-top and dramatic thing in the Bible, I think, is the Valley of the Shadow of Death, all right? So I don't know why they felt like they needed to change that to the Darkest Valley and make it more vague and less effective, uh, but they did. Uh, so I love group, but I feel, again, another questionable call with a verse. Why in the world did they translate it so poorly? It makes no sense to me. The idea with that is when life is scary, God is good because he is close. And so uh, I think the best way to illustrate my point is to illustrate what happened in the puppet show. So we have our main characters who I could tell you about, but I won't because they don't have much to do with the theme. They have to do with the way I taught the gospel at the end. Anyways, our main characters interact with uh, Hooper. They they hear a story. I read them like a bedtime story called The Bird Who Always Flew When He Saw the Color Blue. That's our Dr. Seuss (laughs) spoof. And so Hooper is the the bird who always flew when he saw the color blue. And even though he's technically a hoopo, we had a parrot. So we use the parrot and he's got some blue on him. Uh, So what's funny is we hold up like a blue flag and he like squawks and like flies away from it. And that's the whole deal. And then uh, another puppet comes up and points out to him. He's like, Hooper, you are also blue. And he looks and realizes that there's blue on his wingtips and like freaks out. And (laughs) the whole lesson becomes about how... He can't get away from what he's scared of. Like, he's thinking, oh, God is good when life is scary. So that means that I can ask God and he'll change the color of my feathers so I don't have to be scared of my own feathers anymore. Mm. And that's not the point. And so one of the puppets catches on to this. They're like, wait, is that really the moral of the story? Because that doesn't make any sense. God is good when life is scary, not because he makes things not scary anymore. You can't and won't ever get away from all the things that scare you. Just like our puppet bird can't get away from the color blue it is stuck on him but in the same way that you're scared of the blue that's stuck on you and the blue won't leave you god isn't going to leave you either that's why god is so good when life is scary is because he's close Uh, i gave him the title uh the hand holder i I felt like that 
helped with the illustration for the kids. Like, <laughs> I asked a bunch of the kindergartners uh, just offhand. I kind of just wung the script. My poor puppeteers had to follow my script the, the way I wrote it. I just wung it. And so I asked a bunch of the kindergartners. I'm like, so, like, you guys would trust, like, if this if this leader was to hold your hand so you could cross the road, you know, it would be better than just crossing it on your own, right? If she held your hand. And they're all like, no. <laughs> and she's like, gee, thanks, guys. And it ruined my illustration, too. I was upset. But the idea is... God is good when life is scary because God is there holding your hand. And so it doesn't make the things less scary, but it makes the scary easier to deal with. And again, when you, this is a huge theological concept of God. Uh, my mind goes to like Joshua 1 9. Uh, I have that verse pretty well memorized. He used to wear a dog tag that had it on it. And it said, uh, or Joshua 1 9 is a command from God do not be afraid. Be strong and courageous, for uh, the Lord your God is with you always. So, not do not be scared and afraid because I'm going to tear Jericho down. Uh, he doesn't give a reason to not be terrified of Jericho, other than the fact, I'm here. Like, just do it because I'm here. I'm with you. So, really big concept of God that's kind of weird to get your head around. But when you boil it down to terms like that, like God is the handholder, he's close. So even though life is scary, it's easier to deal with because God is there. Kids get that. Especially, I felt like I'm kind of proud of the hand-holding imagery there, like crossing the street or like going into a dark room or something. But you've got someone you trust there and you're holding their hand and that makes it easier to deal with, not less scary. Yeah, you could, you could have even like um, advanced the analogy even further and said like if you're wearing a blindfold and you're crossing the street, you know, something like that. Where we, oh we yeah, don't, like we don't have the you want someone of guiding you through. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I should go into detail on Psalm twenty three too. So the Valley of the Shadow of Death. Uh, you had to get through that to get to Jerusalem, uh, if I recall correctly. I'm not uh, a geographer uh, that's uh, particularly concerned with uh, Israel. I've never been there. But so you mean it's not like the Lion King where they're like, that's the dark place. We don't go there. Yeah, that's not. It's an actual place in Israel, uh, which is crazy. <laughs> We had so many Lion King references. We had a Simba decoration out there. Like, we just needed, a, like, a baby lion. We're like, well, we have Simba. And it's like, okay, good enough. Pop like, culture references are the best. Yeah, it was great. Hey, I mean, I did it. I spoofed for, like, every single day. Uh, like, the Looney Tunes spoof of day one and then Dr. Seuss spoof for day two. Where was I going with this? Oh, the Valley of the Shadow of Death. So the Valley of the Shadow of Death is, like, it had its name for a reason. Israel is this beautiful land, but the valley of the shadow of death is dead as can be. It's this mountainous crag, and you have to go through it to get to Jerusalem, if I recall correctly. And so David either wrote that psalm while he was marching in to take Jerusalem with a bunch of soldiers, and it's like, ter- like you can't see animals or like ambushers can hide in the like the wavy crags and stuff or it was when he was fleeing for his life it was one of those times like when david says he was going through the valley of the shadow of death it was through the valley of the shadow of death plus being under bad circumstances yeah i love how that's the actual name of the place the valley of the shadow of death like yeah, that's like I think I think a lot of people imagine that's like a figure of speech. That is the place. That's the actual that he was geographical in. name. Yeah. Yes. Like that's like or a at cartoon least it was. thing where There's it's probably like, yeah. this is the mountain of impending doom and death and gore, and you're just like yeah, like Lord of the Rings, Mount Doom or whatever. Yeah. It sounds like it's just being dramatic. No, that is what they called that place. It is crazy. So I don't know. They might have a different name for it in modern days, but in ancient Israel, that's what it was called, the Valley of the Shadow of Death. Uh, so yeah, that sounds fun, right? Let's go. <laughs> Road trip. But even in those circumstances, 
the fact that David was either, like, charging into a heavily fortified city, which is hilarious how he took the city, too, because they all were like, this city is too fortified, you couldn't possibly take it. And the next verse just says, and then they captured the city, and no explanation <laughs> of how they did it. It just nonchalantly throws in there that David captured it, and we have no idea how they did it. Um, which is kind of irritating. It sounds like a cool story. Like, did they sneak in and, like, get it from the inside, or they just mount a huge assault? No, nope. it just says, and then David took the city of Jerusalem. So they encountered the city that was impossible to take, and then they took it. And then they took it in a sentence and then moved on. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> How powerful is God when that's not even something that, like, needs to be explained? Yeah. When it doesn't Out of all the out. things that he does explain, this city, like, fortified them for the rest of... And it's still fortifying them for, like, history. Like, this place is great. Jerusalem's on a mountain, and they stuck the temple at the very top of it. The Temple Mount. So anyways, um... When life is scary, God is good because he is there with you. That is a big biblical concept. I mean, like, how do you apply that to your everyday life? You're like, uh, like, what things, like, okay, so kids, it's obvious. You're scared of the dark. You're scared of crossing the highway. You know, you're scared of that dude with the funny beard. But, like, when you're older, like, what are the things that people are scared of now? Like, for my age group, it's college and life beyond college. Like, that's what my age group is scared of. Yeah, so much, like, existential dread kind of fears. Yeah. Probably with older people, it's like, what's going to happen? Like, usually it's kids. Like, what, what are going to happen to my kids or something like that? Or like, what if I lose my job if they're not in a good position? You know, like people just get freaked out about stuff. And you kind of calm down when you realize, hey, you know, I know God's in it. And I have already established the fact that he's just, even if his uh, definition of justice doesn't match up with my definition of justice. He's there and I'm just going to trust and obey. And that's why God is good when life is scary. Because we know in the end, even if it's the end end, it's going to work out. Might be the very end, but it's going to happen the way it has to happen. Yeah, and I, and I think that like our trust itself has has power. Like not not just like over our mind, but like affects the situation we're in as well. I mean, look at like Peter walking on water. He could do it because he trusted. Yeah. The moment he stopped trusting is the moment things took a turn mm-hmm. for the worse. Yeah. Yeah, so life never really stops getting scary, but it gets easier to deal with when you know God is with you always. So that was day two, all right? Day three was my favorite. Day three is when life changes, God is good. And so we used Psalm 106.1, or group used Psalm 106.1, which is, um, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. All right, so I had a few different ideas for this one. So group's animal character was a water buffalo named Marge. And the deal with that is because a water buffalo, like never, they don't have homes. They travel in herds and life is always changing. They're always in different places. Uh, But we couldn't get a water buffalo puppet. And so I kind of had free reign on day three. Like, did I want to allude to the fact like I was originally going to keep her in the play, but she wasn't going to be there. They're going to go looking for her and she'd be gone. I was going to have this film noir character who was like, Marge. Everybody's got a water buffalo. Yeah, and I was going to do a VeggieTales reference, too. Um, <laughs> what do you um, mean you didn't have a water buffalo? But he's going to be like, Maj, like, I knew Maj, you know, but, her, you know, she's always changing, always off to different waters or something like that. So that was going to be like our Brooklyn film noir character. <laughs> Turning into the, the god. And then I couldn't decide. I looked at the verse, and for some weird reason, I do weird accents all the time. I read I read the verse in an African accent, and it was, like, the sexiest thing ever. I was like, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. That's, like, a combination of, like, Wakanda and Russia. Okay, thanks. Anyways, <laughs> I read it in what I thought was an African accent, and I read forever, and then I was like, oh my gosh. 
what if I do a Black Panther? Like, I bet a lot of these kids, like, know the Wakanda. Like, after Black Panther came out, everyone, they'd just be like, Wakanda forever. You know what I mean? Like, did you see yeah. kids doing that everywhere? Yeah. We were in D.C. not long after it came out on a missions trip. And, like, these kids would not stop doing it. Like, all the public school kids. Like, it was just a fad. And yeah. I'm like, I bet these kids are going to know it if I reference it. And so I was going to do this thing. I was going to scrap the whole Marge thing and do a Black Panther reference where... We were going to do Jesus is forever. And then do, instead of doing like the arms crossing, we we're going to make a cross like perpendicular, yeah. like cross with our arms. And it was going to be awesome and give the kids something to remember. It was going to be super dorky. But like, I thought it was going to get the point across. And then I came up with a different idea. I saw the who's on first skit again. <laughs> and I was like, yo, wait a minute. The who's on first bit, which if you guys don't know the who's on first. Bit, Legendary. Uh, definitely. Yeah, it is the most legendary comedy skit of the 20th century like seriously it's by these two guys named abbott and costello uh who were big during and uh after world war ii abbott and costello all right did this who's on first joke at the height of baseball being popular and the joke is costello is trying to learn about like the st louis baseball team there's like a bajillion versions of it uh the two most popular ones on youtube are the best versions Uh, So whatever comes up when you search who's on first, uh, go for those. Uh, But in one version of it, I know it's like the St. Louis baseball team, all right? And Costello's trying to learn the names of the players, all the nicknames for the players on the St. Louis baseball team. And so Abbott is explaining it. And it goes, who's on first? What's on second? I don't know who's on third. And then Costello's like, that's what I'm trying to find out. So a player whose nickname is who is on first and a player whose nickname is what is on second. And I don't know, is on, you know, that's the joke. And then they've got like a, an outfielder named Y and a, a catcher named Tomorrow. And so he, the whole joke is that the, the context with what they're using the word say who keeps changing. So who's on first? Yes. What? Yes is on first? No. Who's on first? That's what I'm asking you. So it's legendary. Go watch it. I can't do it justice. Uh, But I tried. (laughs) It just can't be explained. With the puppet show, we did a a playoff of that called What's the Password? And so we're trying to find the password for this computer. And I had all sorts of like church characters in there. Like it was this big church problem. And we had two characters, a monkey and a platypus called Abbott and Costello. And they had an exchange of what's the password? Well, the password is what? And so that's what the whole bit was. And it's super like, it's hilarious and it's confusing. And then eventually one of the puppet characters stops and explains like, wait a minute, I figured it out why you two can't communicate. It's because the meaning of what keeps changing yeah when life changes god is good and so it's my favorite one because it was funny we couldn't even do the performance we did three rehearsals and could not stop laughing in the middle of doing it and i wrote it like i knew each joke was coming we're reading it on a script and we could we could barely even deliver the lines but it was just it was so much fun uh but also because we pulled a prank on the children's director Kay, uh, by at the end of the show so she was in the show trying to find out what the password was, and then her puppet leaves. And then what happens is I tell all the kids, if you see, like, the real Miss Kay, please remind her that what is the password? And so kids were going up to Kay all day, and they're like, Miss Kay, what is the password? And she's like, what? And they're like, exactly. And then they left, and she was left in utter confusion. <laughs> That's amazing. It was the best thing. I, it was terrible, but it was amazing. <laughs> it worked, because she had no idea what I was doing. And, of course, it just fed into the whole thing, like, you know, for the laughter of it. So, like, she had no idea, but she was feeding into the joke without realizing she was feeding into the joke. Oh, it was perfect. But the other reason it was my favorite was because it made the lesson come alive, where instead of just watching puppets figure it out, the kids actually got a little bit confused. And then they realized, dang, 
it's really frustrating that life changes, huh? Because like it's frustrating when you can't communicate because the meaning of words change. And it's frustrating when life changes too, which is why it's such a good thing that God doesn't change and his love endures forever. So I felt like that was a really good way to get that point across was in a way that the kids, it would actually come alive for the kids because they'd realize for themselves before the puppets even realized that it's frustrating when things change, which is why it's so good that God doesn't change and the Bible doesn't change. Uh, So that's a pretty huge concept too. Although it's kind of easier to understand when you think of God as an eternal being. The tough part isn't the fact that God doesn't change. It's the fact that God doesn't change when we want him to change. Like when our opinion of social issues is different. For instance, there's a a large community of people, um, Christians, who believe that God is for some reason okay with homosexuality. Yeah. Because the old verses, like, aren't relevant anymore. The Bible is, like, super clear on it. But apparently they've lost relevance. That's not true. The times have changed. God's okay with it now because uh, society has changed. When has that ever been biblically true? Like, the fact that the time of the, the time of society alters the truth and reality of Scripture. That's, on, that's the only context that I'm aware of that people try to, like really use that as a as a genuine explanation well there are other times too for instance we do use that as a genuine explanation for a lot of the rituals of jewish law for instance like we don't have this whole concept of unclean anymore we, we don't do that as a society we consider those rules that are no longer part of like we don't have to participate in that Absolutely. And contained within those laws are where we see the laws that condemn homosexuality and so they throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. So, for instance, and the best argument against that specifically is I think the first instance where homosexuality is condemned uh, is in the middle of God saying, I'm not going to let you be like those Egyptians that you just left. I'm going to separate you from the culture that you were once a part of, and I'm going to make you my own people. And part of that means you're not going to sleep with animals. You're not going to have men sleeping with men, yada, yada, yada. It's like this terrible list of things that the Egyptians did that was considered normal to the Egyptians and was supposed to be considered terrible for the Israelites. And yet, because it's considered normal in our society, that somehow means that it's normal and okay with God? No, 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 no. You gotta, you gotta work harder to make a biblical argument out of that. Yeah, their cause and effect is backwards. It shouldn't be societal context deems biblical context should be the other way around. Exactly. And that's the hard pill to swallow. Not that God is an eternal being. The fact that God doesn't change when we want him to change. Yeah. When we want him to conform to us. Ooh, that's a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. But it's a good thing that he doesn't conform to us because we're fleeting. We're changing all the time. I'm not going to be the same person in 10 years that I am now. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a bad thing. But it definitely is going to be frustrating. Like, can you imagine if I met myself? Like, I probably would not like myself in 10 years and... Me in 10 years would be like, man, that's a dumb kid. Like, what the heck? (laughs) Know what I mean? Like, can you imagine if you met your older self or your younger self? Like, if I met myself three years ago, I'd be like, man, you're an idiot. Like, that's frustrating. Change is just frustrating. Whether it's for the good or for the bad, it's frustrating and confusing. Mm -hmm. And so it's really good that God doesn't change. But that's a tough pill to swallow when we want him to change, to conform to the way we want things to be. Yeah, that's like an important concept is that God is not only eternal in existence but each and every single one of his his character traits every single one of those is just as eternal as he is in existence Mm -hmm. and that's why we don't follow modern jewish law to uh, uh, in a literal sense 
but we still use it as an exploration of God's character. That's why we yeah. haven't thrown out the law. The law has not been tossed out. It's been fulfilled. Exactly. That's the, that's the difference. It wasn't abolished. It was fulfilled. Exactly. And so we can still use it to understand what God is okay with and what he's not. Sin is still sin. And he considers the act of, you know, uh, men, quite frankly, men sleeping with men, that's bad. And there's a million other things, you know. So things don't necessarily change. Maybe culture changes and some things will change with it, but other things won't. And God's opinion on marriage has never changed. And it is condemned in Old and New Testament, period. So there's that, and that's the best example of people wanting God to change. But, I mean, there's a million. That's another whole podcast we could do on that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. I I mean, I've written an article on homosexuality before that expressed a a very similar opinion. Like, that that has not changed. Um, Although the way the church deals with it is either uh, too lenient or too strict, and both sides need to, like, figure that out. So that's its own issue. The church is really failing when it comes to that. It's either condemnation or full acceptance, yeah. Yeah, and you you can't make an argument for full acceptance, but you also can't make an argument for uh, condemnation no. because, I mean, they're just as lost as everybody else. So it shouldn't be tolerated in the church, but it shouldn't be bothered outside of the church. Yeah, so day three, Abbott and Costello, that was great. Uh, it was a lot of fun to perform. I asked one of the puppets, I'm like, Kristen, that was puppet Kristen. I was like, Kristen, what's your favorite part? And she was like, what? And I'm like, your favorite part? And she's like, what was my favorite part? And I'm like, I don't know. That's why I'm asking you. <laughs> it was great. It was a whole skit based on that concept. And the kids got it. Like, even the pre-cares got that joke. Uh, some of them did. Not all of them. It's impressive, actually. Every other kid got that joke. It was incredible. Uh, but none of them realized that I was pulling a prank on Miss K because they're all like, yeah, K was here. Like, she knows the deal. We'll just remind her what's the password. And the adults realized I was pranking her. And the adults laughing when that ha- Oh, my gosh. It was amazing. Oh, that was so much fun. <laughs> when, did, when did you let her in on the When did you let her in on the joke? She figured it out eventually. Yeah. Um, like, by the time four kids came up to her and told her what's the password, she realized something was up. Yeah. And so she started... She she started writing it down on her clipboard. She would write down, okay, got it. What is the path? And then, like, she would write it down. And then, like, kids would be like, no, what is it? Not what's, like, what apostrophe S. It's what. That's it. You know, it was great. Yeah. Oh, the kids totally bought into it. And, oh, it, it was amazing. So I told them, for the record, she, she had a lot going on. I didn't just prank her for the heck of it. I also told them to thank her for all the hard work she puts in. So, you know, they, went, they did both, which was yeah. good. So when life is unfair, God is good. When life is scary, God is good. When life changes, God is good. And then day four, uh, when life is uh, when life is sad, God is good. Mm. And so we're back to using an animal character for this. So we had Zion the lion, who also had some miscommunication, but he's also just kind of like pathetic. So what happens in the plot is that one of his friends, he, he gets a call that morning on his way to Bible camp, that one of his friends has passed away. And he's trying to deal with that, and the puppets are trying to cheer him up, and it's like, it's not working. And there's some funny jokes in there, too. Kristen, the puppet, is being, like, super insensitive, like, recommending we're using the black market with, like, selling his body parts. on. Anyways. <laughs> You're teaching this to pre-K? <laughs> well, what happened, okay, it wasn't that, that's, 
what happened. But what happened in the script is it's Mac the Rhino, okay? Mm-hmm. And she makes a joke about selling the cotton from his horn online. And that causes Mac to go into, the, or not Mac, Zion the Lion to like go into this hole like, oh my gosh, like it's so insensitive and it like hurts his feeling. It's great. But it turns out that this, he had spotty cell phone service and so he heard passed away. But what actually happened was he was running late because he passed his exit on the highway. <laughs> And so that's the joke. And But what's going on here is he's telling this sad story about how his friend died. And me, the human who interacts with the puppets, starts cracking up. And let me tell you, that was so awkward to perform this in front of people who didn't realize what was going on yet. Yeah. But it's part of the plot, all right? And so things would be going on. She'd make a joke about selling Max Horn online. I'd laugh again. And the puppets would be like, dude, what are you laughing about? And I'm like, just ignore it. Keep going on. Keep going on. And then it turns out that Mac is all right. He shows up and he's like, no, I didn't pass away. I passed my exit on the highway. <laughs> then I just start losing it. You know, I had just fake laughter rolling on the floor. And the puppets are like, are you going to tell us what you're laughing about? And this is the reason that I had to do that. The reason I, that I didn't have a puppet laugh was because I wanted to break the fourth wall. I was like, guys, listen, I wrote this story. I know how it ended. I couldn't stay sad in the middle of it, knowing that it had a happy ending. Yeah. And that is the point that I was trying to deliver. And that's why day four is my second favorite. Because again, that I was able to make it come alive, I think, on day four. And the ways days one and two, I couldn't get it to come alive like that. Days three and four were like perfect where either the kids were getting confused and so they understood why confusion sucks or they understand um like they got to see me break the fourth wall and say oh that's why he was laughing the whole time is because he understood that in the end it worked out and so uh the day's verse for that what was that oh the lord is close to the brokenhearted i don't mean, it's like psalms 34 8 or something like that not i mean a pretty standard verse i didn't use that too heavily what i did use was the end of revelation i said okay we're talking about the end of the story i know how the story ends puppet Kristen, do you know how the story ends how does the bible end and then she goes into detail with, oh, yeah, the book of Revelation tells us in, in the beginning of the end sequence of Revelation, it's like 21 or something, chapter 21. And it says that Jesus will wipe away every tear and put away death, pain, sorrow, all of it. We're done. Yeah, It's over. No more of that. And that's the end of the story. And so that's what we know and what we can rely on is when life is sad, God is good because one, he helps us deal with the sadness here. All right. But. We also know how the story ends. So Mac kind of comes up and he's like, okay, well, I'd be upset if you thought I was dead and you weren't sad. Like being sad is okay. It's part of life. You have to deal with it now, but we don't have to deal with it forever. Yeah. And that was the day four point. Yeah. And I think it's also a thing of, you know, yeah, we know the end of, of the story and that helps. But do you know who else knows the end of the story? Just like you writing the script. We know who wrote the story. God knows the end of the story. Mm-hmm. So even when we don't, we know somebody who does. Yeah. And that plays all back into the whole justice theme. Yep. Yeah, it's great. So that's a really big thing about God, too. Like, like when you're in the... It's easy for you to say when you're the one writing the puppet script, all right? What happens when you're actually in the middle of the sorrow? Like, you can't say, like, okay, well, I know this works out in the end. It's not as easy as just saying that. Like, that's a really, really tough pill to swallow. And, for instance, when I mean this came alive for the kids, I asked a bunch of the kids in the middle of the show. I was like, all right, kids, what kind of sad things have happened in your life? And it was people dying... People losing custody of children. It was yeah. like 
holy crap, like, you want to know what these kids are going through. They're going through the same real life that the rest of us are going through. Yeah. And so they got it. When life is sad, God is good anyways. Mm-hmm. And so we deal with the sadness now, but we'll do away with it for eternity. Tough pill to swallow. Absolutely. But it's yeah. real. Yeah, it's real. There was one who, it was, it was her best friend. She was like a fifth grader or something. She was like, yeah, my best friend died in a car accident. Like, holy crap. Like, I think they get the point. Yeah. I think I think it's not too hard to establish the points about life because they get that. The tough point to establish is that God is the, the counterance to that, you know. Yeah, sometimes it's easy to forget that, like, this our world is broken for everybody from for yeah. any age. And, and everybody understands that in in their own little world, yeah. I mean, even if the kid has a dog die, you're like, okay, well, it's just a dog. The kid doesn't think it's just a dog. Like, so whether we think it was legitimate sadness or not, it was legitimate sadness for the kid. Yep. And so they're going to understand when we're talking about how sad life can be. So then we move on to day five. So day five was interesting. Day five threw a wrench into the whole thing. It's when life is good, God is good. It was, it, it twisted the whole narrative. And it's about thankfulness, of course. It's when life is good, God is still good, of course. And you should be thanking him for life being good in the first place. Don't be like the Israelites. Exactly. That's what their Bible story was about, was how many times um, the Israelites forgot that God had rescued them from Egypt and continually returned to other things. As soon as life was good, Israel stopped worshiping God and started worshiping all these other. And that's what the, yeah. the Bible story was. So they learned that from uh, the Bible station. Uh, in my station, we didn't address thankfulness. I completely took the narrative and twisted it. And again, for the same reason I had a twist on day one. This was my outro to the puppet show. So on day five, I needed to preach the gospel and I needed to explain everything the kids had just seen basically over the past four days and wrap it all up neatly. And I couldn't do that with a thankfulness narrative. So it opens with some of our characters uh, praising God for, you know, being good during all the tough times and the good times. And then I use a good example about thankfulness and sticking around God. We included a puppet version of my youth pastor in there. It was great. (laughs) Um, and he laughed to see that cause he was leading one of the groups. So he got to see the puppet show. He didn't know that I had him in it. And, um, we got him in there. And of course this guy is obsessed with Jeeps. And so <laughs> he gets up there and he's like, you know, life is like, uh, like, uh, like a Jeep. And all the other puppets are like, oh goodness, this should be good. <laughs> and then he's like, you see a Jeep. It's really nice to have when you need to go over rough trails, you know, water, rocks, whatever. Okay. A Jeep can do whatever. But it's also fun on paved roads. And so God is the same way. Whether life is going easy or hard, it's fun to be in a Jeep. And it's good to be around God. And I felt like that was a really good example and also a really good way to tie in Jeeps and have people that know that Nathan's obsessed with Jeeps um, laugh. But like that was the point. That was my point in thankfulness was God's good no matter what. So keep him around when times are good and when times are bad. But what I really did with the plot was I had one of my characters be like, yeah, life is good for you. It's not good for me. And his dad is missing and, or you know, he just got like up and left one day and his mom's always in trouble with the law and he doesn't get along with all the other kids at school and yada, yada, yada. Uh, so his life is tough. And again, these kids got it. These kids understand like, yeah, dad's missing. I know a kid who's just like that or my dad isn't around or something like that. Yeah. Even the little kids get that, which is crazy, but they do. 
And then he still comes to a place to realize that no matter what, it's not, it's not about the circumstances. And so after the puppet show where we, that character gets led to Christ after a week, that character gets led to Christ. That's how I explain the Romans road and yada, yada, yada. And then after the show, I cut the show short. It's a shorter script. And after the show, I go off on a teaching thing where I explain, okay, I wrote this. Here's what I wanted you to learn. This is what you just watched. Like, did you notice this theme? And here's why we go through all the work teaching you all this stuff. And I took a mechanical pencil and I pretended it was a needle. Okay. You ever done that where you like, you stick it out nice and far and then you hold the eraser down and like stick it into your arm or something, make it look like you just injected yourself with a needle. (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe you've never done that. Come on. I do it all the time as a fidget. Anyways. Um, I did that in front of all the kids and I was like, listen, when I was a kid, I got this vaccine. All right. I can no longer get chicken pox. All right. You guys can all have chicken pox. I'm not going to get it because I'm immune. Well, in the same way, when I was a kid, I chose that I'm going to stick around with God no matter what. And because I chose to invest into God's goodness, I am immune to life. So no matter what the emotions are, no matter what the circumstances are, good, bad, wild, crazy, peaceful, whatever, it's not about the circumstances. When life is fill in the blank, God is good. And so I'm immune to life because I am with God. And that's why we do what we do. And that's why we try to teach you what we taught you. And that's what we're hoping that you've learned is that God is good no matter the circumstances. And so that was my conclusion for day five. It ended with me teaching a little lesson uh, and using that needle as an example, which was spur of the moment. Not spur of the moment. I thought of it the night before. I didn't script it when I wrote my scripts ahead of time. I thought like, man, this will probably work. And then I did it. And I think I think it was met with good success. I think the kids got it. They got that that they had a choice to make. I, I brought up anti-vaxxers. It was great. Oh gosh! But I, I was like, it was a legitimate fear. Like it takes a little bit of guts and some faith to in, let someone inject you with something. You have to trust the fact yeah. that it is what they say it is, and so you have the choice to make. Now you have the vaccine. Are you going to take it or not? And that was how I presented the gospel to the kids. You, you have all the tools you need. The choice is now yours, and I can't make it for you. Are you going to take the shot and be immune to life? Or are you going to stick in the fear and just steer clear of it, you know? Yeah, because the thing is, like, it's it's God's love that is the vaccine, you know? It's God's goodness. That's the uh-huh. that's the common theme, overlying theme that wasn't necessarily mentioned to the kids as, like, a broader concept. Like, they, un- it's logical conclusion of if, if God is good in this, if God is good in this, if God is good in this, then that means God is good in everything. But that is a concept that is so easy to say, but such a lifelong process to apply. Mm-hmm. And that really needs to be the foundation of our of our faith is is the recognition that God is good in everything. there are Christians who go their whole lives and never realize that they're actually immune to it, you know? Yeah. And maybe that's because they're not immune to it. Maybe they're not putting in the faith that they should. But, you know, no matter the circumstances, no matter what, Christians need to be able to hold on to the fact that God is good. Too many weak Christians out there, you know? Yeah. And that's like, you know, you're saying lots of weak Christians and like, it's easy to like say that there's a lot of weak Christians, but... In the same time, like, how many times has God 
pointed out to, to me or, or to you ways we've gone wrong. I think, you know, we're all weak Christians, and that's the point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is definitely true. Um, I was thinking last night, because I was thinking about how I do kids ministry, you know, with that idea in mind of I don't want these kids to grow up to be the kids who grew up in church and didn't know a thing about God. And I was thinking about how, because like, I'm an EDU major, I'm in school getting a degree in education, and I'm learning how to teach. And I'm seeing that in Sunday schools and churches, I mean, like the church I grew up in, the Bible was taught like a school subject. And I've always kind of like been happy with that. Like I know the Bible pretty well now, but I've slowly been rejecting that because I realized they were really doing a sucky job of it, I think. I had a lot of teachers that weren't people with the gift of teaching. They were moms and grandmoms that had free time and were doing what they could. But these were not people who were, you know, built by God to teach the Bible. It takes a scholar who really knows it to teach it on more than just a surface level. And the surface level is a terrible way to read the Bible. And so I was thinking of Gideon, like how does the Bible teach? Well, the Bible teaches like a mirror, like slowly, the the deeper you get, I mean, on the surface, the Bible looks like it's about Jewish people from thousands of years ago, but you get deeper and you realize the Bible's about you and you see yourself in the characters that live out. So you see yourself in Jonah. And I was thinking like Gideon, Like, for instance, say you're dealing with fear, okay? The way most Christians are going to deal with that, they're going to send you an encouraging Bible verse. They're going to send you Joshua 1.9 that I recited earlier. You know, be strong and courageous for God is with you. And now I have a helpful little anecdote. Like, you know, I shouldn't be scared. I should just deal with it. Okay. But common sense could have told you the same thing. Yeah. Did it really take scripture for that realization to come across you? Okay. Maybe that's not how the Bible teaches. Maybe the Bible teaches about fear through characters like Gideon. Okay. So instead of reading a Bible verse that encourages you when you're scared, maybe you need to read about a character who is just petrified of everything. All right. He doubted God and he was terrified of life. And you read his story and you're like, okay, he's asking for another sign from God, all right? And then he's going to go and he's going to he's gonna invade this, or he's going to not really invade, he's going to cause this massive disturbance that's going to cause this enemy army to basically destroy itself from the inside. And God doesn't even let him do that. This time, he, God doesn't wait for Gideon to ask for a sign. He's just like, and I'm going to give you a sign because I know you're going to ask for me anyways because this is who you are, you doubt. And you're sitting there and you're like, man, why does Gideon just keep on doubting God? And why is he so scared of everything around him? Like, he just needs to get over it. Oh, wait. That's me. <laughs> that's me. Yeah. I'm supposed to, why am I not doing this? Like, you come to this, like, real, and that's just so much of a deeper realization than just getting a helpful little anecdote in a text message from another Christian. That's how the Bible teaches. It forces us to deal with stuff through ourselves, and we see ourselves in these characters. Yeah, that exact concept is why I have always, I feel, learned more and gotten more out of, I guess, like more topical style messages because it's so much easier to apply stories and apply like relatable contexts than it is to just pull a verse out of nowhere and figure out how to apply it to your situation. If you've read in the Bible a specific situation that you can relate to, that you understand and is similar to yours then the Bible becomes an instruction manual on how to proceed. If it's just, oh, I have I have problem A and verses 1 through 10, but they're not at all in context, then it's a whole lot harder to figure out how to apply those to your life. 
Yeah, I mean, the Bible isn't a collection of anecdotes and fables. Like, it's not the same as, like, Aesop's fables, uh, you know, tortoise and the hare. But that's how people use it. That's, that's simply not how it teaches. We have to wrestle through things with ourselves in mind. And that, that's what I really tried to teach to the kids. And that's what I'm hoping the the church can lean towards is away from this, like, like the Bible app, okay, you version. Like, they're doing an amazing thing. They're trying to get digital Bibles in every language and spread it as far and wide as they can. And they're, you know, they are spreading the Bible. But this Bible images verse thing, you know, where you get a verse and an image and that's supposed to make you feel better. It's not what the Bible is meant to do. And that sort of Facebook Christian culture is toxic. I hate the word toxic, but I use it there because it's poisoning the way we use the Bible. We use it like it's a bunch of one-liners. And I'm convinced, okay, like it is the holy word of God, but I think it loses almost all of its miraculous power when you use it in a way that it's not meant to be used. God teaches you in a very specific way through the Bible, and that's not it. It's simply not the case. Yeah, and, and one-liners are so much easier to use in unbiblical ways. If, yeah, if you can just... make the Bible say almost anything if you use it the right way. Yeah, exactly. So being taught in context, being taught with um, real-life applicable situations is going to be, A, easier to understand how it works for you and how you need to take it, and B, it's harder to shape it into something that isn't what God is trying to say. Exactly. And so that's one of the bigger problems with modern Christianity and why we have these weak Christians who uh, are limited to circumstances is because the, the Bible is being taught well. And, and I've talked about that on, on the last episode of the podcast. I talked that to death. We need to change the way we look at the Bible. There's brand new ways that are not even brand new ways, or the original ways, reading the whole thing instead of a verse, you know, it was never written in verses. It was written as a whole thing. And so let's go in and let's explore the characteristics of God in the huge, gigantic, literary ways that it always has. Yeah. That's the way we do it. And so we wrestle with it in very real ways. And so we look at the story of Job and we realize, hey, maybe the bad things that are happening to me are bigger than just me. And I need to just trust God through it. God is good. But you own it so much more when you don't just learn it from a verse. Yeah. It's about wrestling with God's character. It's about reading, like Jonah. Why, why don't I go into Jonah a little bit here, like I did in the, the one I deleted. Jonah, all right, we're all taught through uh, VeggieTales, which VeggieTales is great, but we're all taught that Jonah is about this prophet who gets scared of the people that he's supposed to go preach to, and so he runs away. And then he decides to go do it anyways, uh, and God, like, sends him a fish, and, like, the, this fish is, like, this huge part of the story, and the fish comes over, and God gives him a second chance, and he does the right thing the second time, and, you know, everybody sings Kumbaya. But the one thing about the story of Jonah that so many people don't realize is Jonah didn't disobey God because he was scared of failure or because he was scared of the people he disobeyed god because he knew god was going to do it and he didn't want redemption for those people exactly we have this idea that he ran away because like he was scared that comes from nowhere we don't have to fill in the blanks he literally says in i believe chapter four the reason i didn't go preach to the people of nineveh is because i knew you would save them and jonah is disgusted by god's grace to people that he doesn't think deserves it or deserve it and uh, the book of Jonah ends with God asking Jonah a question, and we never see Jonah answer. Why? It's because we're Jonah. Yeah. 
we have to come to terms with the fact that it disgusts us when God is gracious to people we don't think deserve it. And you think, well, God's grace isn't a characteristic you have to wrestle with. Like, God not changing. Maybe that's something we got to wrestle with because I kind of want him to change sometimes. So grace, we're all about grace. No, we're all about grace and grace is all about us. But we're just as undeserving as anybody else, which is yeah. the thing that people forget. And so it turns out that we actually do have to wrestle with God's grace because we have problems with it. And we have to own it. And so instead of this narrative that Jonah is about second chances, Jonah is about dealing with God's grace when you don't think someone deserves it. And that is exactly why, and this is a whole other thing I could talk about for ages. In the gospel, who are we supposed to relate to as modern Christians, all right? Who do we relate to the most when we read the gospel stories? We should try and relate to Jesus. We should be relating to Jesus and to the disciples, the people that are walking behind him. I am convinced that as far as the American church goes, we would relate far more to the Pharisees and to the scribes. See, we don't see that. We don't see ourselves in them because we go in with these blinders that say Jesus is the good guy and they're the bad guys. And we never realize, man, I kind of really agree with them. Like, they're all consumed with these rules. And they aren't okay with people getting grace. You notice that? They're like, how can you eat with sinners? And uh, like the whole story of the prodigal son. Okay, that's a whole other thing. The prodigal son. Everyone always identifies to the prodigal son. No one ever identifies to the jerk older brother. But the point of the story was the jerk older brother. He was talking to the Pharisees when he told that story. That's them and that's us. The jerk older brother who's upset when someone we don't think deserves grace gets it. Absolutely, yeah. And so we relate far more to the Pharisees than we do to the disciples and to Jesus because we're just like them. We are consumed with the rules and we need to wrestle with God's character in a way that we can own his grace and realize that all are deserving, no matter what we see. Well, all are equally undeserving. All are equally undeserving. That, yeah. That's a good correction. All are equally undeserving and yet all are equally given. Yeah. That's probably a better way to put it. Yeah. So, yeah, this has been uh, kind of a, a debrief on what my last week has been. My week was teaching. Uh, the last month and a half have been preparing for this. But it's more than just understanding those big stories. You know, when life is unfair, God is good. When life is scary, God is good. Uh, when life is changing, when life is sad, and even when life is good, God is good. The bigger picture here is understanding that we need to wrestle with God's character in bigger ways. And a bunch of kids, uh, like 250 to be exact, understood that in a whole new way this week than I think most adult Christians ever get. You got to wrestle with God's character. It's okay to push those limits sometimes. I think I think we fall into the trap of uh, like we're doubting when we kind of question God sometimes, and that's not always a bad thing. Doubt doubt isn't good, but testing. Not testing in the way like you test someone's patience, but testing in the way like I'm going to put you to the test. Let's see how this holds up. God will stand up to it every time. I think he even tells us to test him. Like, uh, what's it? Psalm 39. Taste and see that I am good. Maybe that's 139. I forget where it is. Um, But taste and see that I am good. Let's put me to the taste, uh, to the test here. Okay. If you put God's characteristics to the test, he's going to come out on top and you're going to own it in a whole new way. Yeah, there is such a big difference between asking God questions and questioning God. Yeah, yeah. You can own it in a whole new way if you really, I mean, like, let's challenge it. Not challenge it in a way like you're trying to bite at him, but challenging it like a God. Maybe I don't understand this so well. Let's see what I find when I start digging. Yeah, one is a one is uh, seeking 
deeper knowledge of of how God does things, and and one is challenging. Yeah, put it to the test. Don't just follow it blindly. Like, see that He is good. Taste it that He is good. You can't do that from far away. It doesn't say smell that I am good. Okay, yeah. taste it. Put it in your mouth. Let, let's chew on this a little bit. How about that's how we're supposed to to learn about God. And so a whole bunch of kids now learned in a whole new way why God is good by watching his characteristics play out. And they watched it play out through a puppet show that I wrote in a month, all right? But as Christians who are older, we get to read the Bible, which was about a thousand years in the making and has stood the test of time for 2,000 years, all right? Who's on first isn't going to be funny in 2,000 years. My puppet scripts are going to die off. I mean, who's on first might still be funny, but your puppet script will definitely be dead. Yeah, I mean, if English, <laughs> like, if who's on first was in old English, it probably wouldn't be anywhere near as funny. You know what I mean? True. Like, that might not work in whatever language most people are speaking in 2,000 years. So maybe it will, maybe it won't. But either way, the Bible stands the test of time. So you don't have to learn about God's characteristics from a podcast that I made talking about a puppet script that I made. Just go to the source. Let's wrestle with God's character in a whole new way. Let's see that he is indeed good. No matter what the circumstances are, no matter what you think, you might see that life is unfair. That doesn't mean that God is unfair. Let's deal with that. Let's deal with that in the hundred chapters that talk about it. Between 40 and Job and, you know, however many lamentations and yada, yada, yada. Deal with it. Challenge it. Put it to the test so that you can own it. Because I know a whole lot of kids right now where I'm going to go up to them and I'm going to say, when life is scary, and they're going to shoot their fist up into the air, because that's the motion we taught them, and say, God is good. And they're not just saying it because they were taught it. They're saying it because they own it now. And the adults have a lot to learn from the kids. Let me tell you what. Yeah. I mean, how many times in the Bible does it say that, like, does it use children as a model of what we should become more like? Yeah. Yeah, we're all about the obey your father and mother, yada, yada, where it says, you know, children, you know, follow in the footsteps of your parents and whatever. And, you know, youth in the uh, Pauline epistles giving instructions for the church. It's, you know, the young people should be following the elders. But Jesus especially never told children to look up to their parents. In fact, he told parents to look down to their children and say, hey, what the heck? Like, you should be more like them. Like, they're just got blind faith instead of all these Okay, I should address that now that I'm addressing that. All these uh, questions, all right? So the distinction there between when Jesus teaches about having too many questions and blind faith, there's a difference between a scholarly approach to understanding God deeper and questioning because you're just dead on faith, all right? Don't question because, well, let's see how he stands up to this and try to find like flaws in the Bible and the way to, well, I don't like that God doesn't change. I think God should change. Going right? back to the Pharisees. That's a, yeah. yeah. You're, you're starting in the wrong place. Questioning God in the way of putting him to the test to truly see, like, I know the outcome is going to be God is good, but I don't see how we get there. Let's get there. That's questioning. That's okay. And that's the blind faith that the kid has. You know that God is good no matter what. That's the blind faith part. Then you go in and eventually arrive there instead of going in questioning with this negative attitude. So that's the distinction between when Jesus says, don't question God, and when God says, do question God. You know, that, That's how that works without contradicting. They're two different types of questioning. Yeah, exactly. I think this has been a good conversation. What do you think, Mac? What 
Yeah. Well, what have you learned, if anything, from what I've spoken today? Because, like, you didn't know too much about the group Roar curriculum, except for however much of the puppet script you read before I sent it, or when it, yeah, before we performed it. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm just so impressed with how, how well they managed to simplify such sometimes seemingly impossible concepts to understand to a variety of different age groups. And I think yeah. it's important to point out the the common theme in that isn't the, the suffering circumstances that you're provided with, but the common theme in all of the lessons is that God is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was an incredible lesson. I, I really do think adults have something to learn from that. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing it in the podcast. You know, I think what we learned... You know, we learned it in a shallow level for the kids because they can only understand it. You know, it's a big thing boiled down. So they're going to get the boiled down version. And it's still impressive that they got the boiled down version. But like, we're adults. We can handle this. Let's deal with this in a bigger way. And so I want the, that, that's the challenge of the people who are listening to this. Deal with that. If you think there was something that I spoke about here that you don't necessarily agree with or you don't think is true or you have trouble uh, in accepting that fact about God, Wrestle with it. Yeah. Get to it. Acknowledge now that the, the answer you're going to find is God is good. All right? Undoubtedly, that's the answer. But figure out how you got there. All right? That's okay. You should learn from that. And I really I really think that would be a good direction for a lot of people to go in right now is to learn from that curriculum. When life is whatever, God is good. Yeah, and I think something that people sometimes have a hard time understanding is that God can handle your questions if they're done with the right heart. I feel like mm-hmm. so many people have different doubts about God and different misperceptions of, of his character and who he is, and they don't bring them to God. You can bring your questions about God to God just like you can your questions about everything else. I feel like so many Christians have this concept of, oh, well, if there's something wrong with my job, I'll, I'll bring that to God and I'll ask God about it. But then when they have questions about God, they don't bring those to God. They they rely on themselves to seek the answers on God. Mm-hmm. I think there's this, There's I think I mentioned this already, there's this little bit that says like, oh no, you're doubting and I'm not allowed to doubt. Like I, I can't doubt God. So I'm just going to, we'll just assume it's true and then we'll, we'll just forget about it. That's a terrible way to deal with it. Deal with it. Get it dealt with so that you can own it in a whole new way when that comes up. If you have a question, get it answered. That's yeah. okay. Like it's not doubt. It's a legitimate question you know, curiosity. That's okay. Yeah. There's definitely a, a balance there where you, you have to be willing to be outside of the, the understanding of what's going on, but also don't be afraid to ask. Yeah, that's definitely true. And remember, Jesus said, uh, what, what is it? Ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. Mm-hmm. I think that's the order it goes in. Yeah, I think you're right. If you've got a question, deal with it. Own it. That's that's the moral of the story. God is good no matter what. So label that at the end. You know, Picture it like you're drawing a finish line, all right? Here's where I am. I'm confused. I know the finish is God is good. I have no idea how to get there. Or a map. Maybe a map is a better idea. A GPS. I see the destination. I know where I am. I know where I'm supposed to be. I don't know how to get there. That's okay. But figure it out. Don't just stand still. You'll just never arrive at the destination. Yeah. Get where you need to go. God desires a relationship with us. It's not just something he does because we ask him to. That's why he made us, to have a relationship with him. And how do you build a relationship? You get to know each other. 
So how do you build a relationship with God? You get to know God. How do you do that? Through his scripture and through prayer. Ask him if you want to know something about him. Is it any wonder that probably our most subtle and non-graphic description of intimacy is to know someone? Like, you get close. That's all it is. Like, deal with all the, you know, all the baggage that comes with that phrase, you know, to know someone. There's a reason it's called that. That's not just a way to get around, you know, using a word you don't want to use. That is, at the heart of it, what it is. And in a very similar way, not the same way, but in a similar way, (laughs) that's how we get to know God. We tear down everything that shouldn't be there, and you get close. Yeah. Everything else falls away, and it's just you and the other, just two different people, or Mm -hmm. us and God, and nothing else, focusing on each other. Well, that was a really, really great discussion that we had. I know you probably don't think it was much of a discussion because it was a lot of me talking. Uh, But Matt had some really great feedback, and it was good to kind of hear someone come in with a fresh look because I spent so much time on this. I spent a month uh, pretty much straight in preparation for uh, writing the scripts for that puppet show. Uh, So it's pretty sweet to actually hear someone just give me some pretty raw feedback. It was a really great study that we did with those kids, and uh, I really think they got it. But you guys got the adult version today. You got the serious version with uh, myself and Mac, the, the big boy version. And so this is more than just a single lesson. It's, it's almost a challenge. This isn't something that you're just going to understand. Five giant uh, theological statements about God's character in just listening to a single episode. So what I would recommend that you do is you just kind of think about these things. All right, we spent a whole week dealing with this uh, with the kids, and they weren't just learning from me. They were learning at almost every station they were at at Bible camp. So why don't you spend some serious time on this? Uh, so day one, when life is unfair. Day two when life is scary day three when life changes day four when life is sad and day five when life is good god is good those are massive theological statements and i would encourage you to work on those as for this podcast you can expect regular episodes coming out from now here on out probably at least until the school year Uh, i'm going to be recording with mac i'm going to be recording with other people as well it's going to be tight uh we're going to hopefully do an episode with zach villamir justin's twin brother uh and that's a pretty cool thing that he's been working on uh where he's actually going to be teaching me. So definitely got some stuff coming down the tubes, and it's a bummer that I haven't had time to work on it, but it's going to be pretty sweet. So stay tuned, and hopefully you're going to be seeing regular weekly releases coming out right here. Also, take a look at the new uh, color theme we're using on the website, featuring my transparent logo. Oh, yeah, baby. All right, until next week, expect a new podcast next Friday, and I will see you guys then with whatever the heck we decide to talk about.